Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. By now, it's common knowledge that when and if we gather for church, one of the least safe things we can do is sing together. Now, spiritually speaking, Christians singing together has never been quite safe. Martin Luther, for one, knew it well because of the tendency it has to bring us into the presence of the cherubim and seraphim in worship of Almighty God, not an activity you could really call safe. But Of course, we're talking about safety from COVID-19. And while we pursue one kind of safety, we've been losing the freedom to enter into that powerful experience of worshiping God together in song. Today, we'll hear Abigail Woolley Cutter's interview with Dr. Marty Wheeler Burnett. Dr. Burnett is president of the Association of Anglican Musicians and associate professor of church music and director of chapel music at Virginia Theological Seminary. Dr. Burnett has led the music ministry at Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Omaha, Nebraska, and conducted many choirs and ensembles. She is also an award-winning educator. She and Abigail talk about the loss of music in churches. What does it mean? How do people feel? And the concerns people have as they return to in-person worship. Also, the effects all this might have on church music in the long run. They also speak very practically about current best safety practices for musicians, both vocalists and instrumentalists. This is a conversation full of important tools for making good decisions for your church in worship during this time. We hope it's extremely helpful to you. If you have feedback on this episode, feel free to email me, Amber Noel, at ambernoel at livingchurch.org.
Support for this episode comes from Emmanuel Memorial Episcopal Church in Champaign, Illinois. Emmanuel has been responding to the merciful love of God in Jesus Christ for over 125 years, with special commitments to outreach and to a beautiful historic liturgy. From their well-known 1662 prayer book, Choral Evensongs, to a 40-year ministry of daily sack lunches for the homeless, Emmanuel offers ancient roots, warm community, meaningful service. And in a society where Christian language and practices are increasingly unfamiliar, Emmanuel helps people to dive in and explore them. You can find out more about Emmanuel Champagne on Facebook or Instagram, or visit their website at emmanuelmemorialepiscopal.org. Marty, thank you so much for being willing to have this conversation with me today. Hi, Abigail. Glad to join you. We are talking about what it's like to be uh, doing music ministry during the era of COVID. So before we get into the details of the latest studies and what might be safe during this time, I'd love to hear you talk about why music is so important in worship. As a, a professor and a music minister yourself, how does it work? Why does it? Uh, why do we use music? Well, there are lots of good answers to that question, but I'll try to touch on two or three. Uh, music is the universal language. It's a language that touches all of us very deeply, and as Christians, we believe it's a gift from God. Music is a way to build community. So when we sing together, it heightens our praise, gives us the opportunity to to experience that sense of oneness with God, the creator, and with the Christians around us who are singing. And I also think that uh, church music is a way to teach theology. It's one of the primary ways that, that people absorb our Christian beliefs in a very deep way. If you asked someone to quote a line from a sermon, they might have to think about that for a few minutes. But if you ask them to sing a line or a stanza of a hymn, they often can do that. So, so music is internalized in a very deep way, touches our souls, and it allows us to, to worship God more fully, as we say in the Episcopal Church, in the beauty of holiness. That's wonderful. So it, it, it not only connects us to each other, but it connects us to text in a really deep soul way. Exactly. Um, you know, we know we know of people who have lost the ability to speak, but yet the brain can be stimulated by the sound of a familiar song. Music is embedded deep within us. Everyone has music within them. And when we sing in praise of God, we connect in an even deeper way. So in a time like this, when we've heard that um, music, this beautiful and powerful thing, can actually ironically be um, a dangerous thing if it has to do with aerosol transmission, and then we have stopped using it uh, in many worship scenarios, that's a really big deal. So what do you think is at stake when, uh, when worshiping communities stop singing together? I think a great deal is at stake. Because we depend on it in so many ways, music connects us as a community. It helps us worship. It, the loss of it is profound and deep. And I think churches are dealing with it in a variety of ways to try to include that element of music in their online worship. But it's a, it's a real loss. And we need to think about that and find ways to connect with people digitally that will allow them to have that sense of, of connection. And so for congregations, that makes a big difference. What about for musicians themselves? What are musicians going through these days? 
Church musicians are having a tough time right about now. Um, I think all of us thought when this started, well, we'll be back by Easter, or we'll be back by Pentecost, or we'll be back in the fall. And as the uh, COVID-19 crisis continues, uh, we're all struggling with that. I know that a lot of musicians jumped in at the beginning with a lot of creative work. A lot of musicians were asked by their parishes to take on the electronic side of things through filming and recording, producing virtual choir videos, and everyone did their very best. But at this point, I think people are tired. They've, uh, they've missed summer vacations. They've missed those chances to be with their families. They've missed conferences and continuing education opportunities that are normally a part of the summer chance to recharge batteries and have an uh, excitement for starting the new year. So I think we're seeing a lot of burnout among church musicians who are wondering about the way forward and, and how long this crisis will continue. What has your experience been like? Well, my experience has been a little different because I changed jobs in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, I left my parish, Trinity Cathedral in Omaha, and join the faculty here at Virginia Theological Seminary. So it's been an unusual time for me because I haven't been doing church music actively. I planned all the music for Trinity Cathedral before I left. Uh, so they have a whole summer's worth of music and I've been enjoying worship, worshiping with them online uh, and seeing that music and hearing the familiar instruments and voices uh, that have produced the music. But uh, Mostly, like everyone else, I've been uh, worshiping online and visiting various congregations around the country. That in itself has been quite interesting and something that we haven't had the opportunity to do in the past as easily for those of us working in the church. You mentioned that a lot of musicians have switched to um, digital production. I'm sure there's quite a range of choices people are, are using to try to uh, to try to be creative, to try to keep using music in worship. What choices are you hearing about? Well, it depends largely, and first of all, on the guidelines within a diocese about music. Different places have different infection rates and different policies about what can and cannot be done. Uh, almost every place has been recording and using digital production over the summer, some places are able to do live streams from their church, so they're able to have the organ or the piano uh, or other instruments. They're able to possibly have a soloist or a cantor. So we see that. There are also many places where that is still not available, so people are using Zoom to be able to have uh, music played remotely. And then we have some parishes that are doing outdoor worship. We've uh, seen examples of drive-in worship, so there are all kinds of different, different approaches based on individual situations. We've seen a number of places doing vir virtual choirs, and that's been fun and exciting, I think, particularly at first. At this point of the pandemic, uh, it can be a lot of work, and it's difficult to maintain. And there's a real question of whether the amount of work and editing involved in that is really the best use of a musician's time. It's a, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because you have to find way, ways for people to stay connected and to have the power of that music. But we also have to, to think about our lay employees and their mental and physical health and the time demands we place on them. So that's, that's been a challenge and I think one that will continue going forward. 
it sounds like some of the uh, some of the uh, stress was mitigated by a, a little bit of fun of uh, problem solving early on. But but when you have a, a digital choir that um, you're no longer uh, the, the joy is no longer in uh, working with the obstacles of the medium. It's it's you know really just missing being together as a choir, huh? I think that's true. Um, for for many churches, the choir is one of the most active organizations within the parish, right? They meet regularly through the week. They're, they are really a community that supports one another musically and personally uh, through prayer and caring and pastoral care. So it's, it's a loss on many levels when the choir can't be together or the choirs. Uh, I'm also particularly concerned about children's choirs. Uh, most of the schools are going online this fall, at least to start. Some places are doing really creative things with, with virtual children's choirs. But again, that takes a lot of work and not every parish has those kinds of resources at their disposal. So it's, it's a challenge to find that, that balance of, of ways of, of keeping the choir community together within a parish. And it sounds like the size of the parish uh, is another factor that will determine a lot of people's decisions, not only infection rates and local guidelines, but um, the size of staff and budget and all that, right? Absolutely. I mean, I've seen some some wonderful things online with some of our larger resource parishes who are doing virtual choir academies for children and have all kinds of resources most Episcopal churches are small and don't have those kinds of resources, and we aren't seeing any resources made available at a national level. So it's difficult, I think, particularly in our small congregations to, to find the resources to, to keep music going during this time. I think people are doing an admirable job with what they have. If there were a lot of centralized resources, I imagine that might have a negative impact on musicians in smaller congregations where part of the joy is simply showing up, even if you don't have a state-of-the-art auditioned choir. Um, but if you had centralized resources, um, then the, the smaller community musicians might feel um, less essential. Do you, see, do you think there's something to that? Yeah, I think I think there are two sides to that coin. I think that one of the, the things that people really enjoy, and I know in my former parish people have commented on, is, is how much they like seeing the familiar space and hearing the familiar voices. Our choir section leaders have been singing solos week by week, and it means so much to people just to connect in that way, seeing a familiar face, even hearing a familiar voice. On the other hand, it's it would be interesting if we could offer some resources that would be available to our smaller parishes. I've been, one of the fun things I've been doing is watching church that a friend of mine is the, the vicar of a congregation in rural England. And they are producing a really wonderful broadcast with beautiful scenery of the fields and the animals. Um, it's, it's great fun to watch visually, but I've noticed in their broadcast that the Church of England has made some resources available that small congregations can use. So they record standard hymns, they ha handle the video production side and include the, the lyrics on the screen. And here's a big thing, they handle all the copyright issues. So they are making these resources available that, that small churches then can use 
without having to recreate, reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Uh, some of the, the larger parishes like St. Martin in the Fields, some of these organizations are, are helping with this, St. Paul's Cathedral. So it, it would be really wonderful if we could have both, if we could encourage that creativity on the local level, but also make some resources available uh, within the Episcopal Church that could help our small congregations. The longer this goes on, the more of a struggle it is, particularly in a small congregation where you may have a volunteer working on the music or certainly a very part-time staff member. It would be great if we could, if we could do more to help. Absolutely. And uh, have you had any conversations with someone who might be in a position to get the ball rolling? I haven't, but this is something I've just come across in the last few weeks. And if it looks like this is going on for a while, I think it's a conversation worth having. That sounds great. Have you seen any particularly inspiring responses? Any, any, new, any ideas that um, have really made you feel like um, people are really putting their hearts into what they're doing? I think most people are putting their hearts into what they're doing across the board. You see that, I think, with the the creativity and love that is being offered through through these online musical offerings. I think all of us have benefited from the excellent work being done at Washington National Cathedral. Of course, they were set up to do live streaming at a very high professional level before all of this started, so they had that advantage. But what they've been doing in terms of the, uh, the quality of the music and video production, but also the sensitivity to being inclusive and the variety of musical styles that are offered uh, at this time in our nation's history, I think that's been very important and a, a model for the rest of us that, that we can consider and follow. Forgive us for the extra commercial today, but we want to make sure you don't forget to renew or start your annual subscription to the Episcopal Musician's Handbook. This is the essential tool for clergy and church musicians. This book is a huge help for planning liturgy year-round. It includes hymn selections that fit the propers of the day, including all major feasts, a complete index of the service music in the hymnal 1982, tips for musicians who are new to the Episcopal Church, plus reference pages for planning music for special services, including holy baptism, confirmation, weddings, ordinations, church dedications, and more. And we've just added activities for introducing children to music and worship. You can order or renew your subscription by going to livingchurch.org, clicking on the Products tab, and scrolling down to the Musician's Handbook. But if you can't remember all that, we'll also include a link for ordering in the show notes. You have described a study commissioned by a coalition of 85 music-related organizations that has to do with aerosol transmission of COVID-19 by singers as well as instrumentalists. And um, I gather that the Association of Anglican Musicians is one of those organizations? Yes, this is an important study about music and the aerosol transmission of COVID-19. And I'm president of the Association of Anglican Musicians and we were able to give a grant to help support this research. Since you and I first started emailing, that count on the number of organizations is over 100. So it's remarkable, and the first time any of us know of that that many organizations, music organizations, have come together for a project, because it is so important, and we need answers to keep our singers safe, and 
and those answers were not coming forward in other ways. So, so we're excited about this research. We're starting to get the first results back now, and we have some recommendations that we can share. Um, there will be more information coming out as the study progresses. It's very unusual that in scientific studies, usually recommendations aren't issued until all the research is finished and the findings are published. But because so many schools and churches are looking at resuming in-person music activities, the scientists felt it was important to release what they had so far so that people could at least make informed judgments about the best way forward. What has been learned so far? Well, right now, they are making uh, recommendations in four areas, and I think these are all areas that we've heard of, but it's interesting to know some of the specific recommendations they are making based on the research. The areas are mask, time, distancing, and airflow. So I'll take a moment and talk about each of those, and then maybe after each one, you can let me know if you have any questions. Let's talk about mask first. I think everybody's aware of wearing masks, but the recommendations from this study, uh, which I should say is sponsored by the National Federation of State High School Associations, the recommendations from the study suggest that singers and speakers should wear masks at all times. So that's different than what we've been seeing some churches doing. Uh, washing hands before putting on the mask. Uh, masks should be multi-level. They suggest surgical style and either washable or disposable after each use. Um, they're looking at medical grade masks. And this is an issue because, of course, we want to save those N95 masks for our first responders and for healthcare workers who need them the most. But as PPE becomes more available, higher quality masks are going to be important. One of the things that they said that I thought was really interesting is that if your mask leaves a mark on your face when you remove it, it's probably the right kind of mask. So in other words, the really loose masks that allow a lot more aerosol transmission are not as effective as something that fits snugly around the nose and mouth. So that's, that's one easy way to check. And they reminded us that most musicians and public speakers, so this applies to us in churches, will need two kinds of masks, one for their general everyday use, and a higher quality mask for their work in singing and speaking. The ongoing study, by the way, will evaluate some of the new masks that are coming out for speakers and singers. Uh, speakers are encouraged to use amplification and speak with a low conversational volume. So that's a big change. And uh, rem remember that there should be absolutely no talking without a properly worn and fitted mask. So those are some of the recommendations about masks. Right. So when you mention these very specific kinds of masks that are important for speakers and singers, especially the, the mark that a mask should leave on your face, what, um, what specific keywords or brands uh, would you recommend searching in order to find the right kind of mask? I think that if you search using the word musician, you'll probably find various things. There uh, is a Broadway singer's mask that's been developed uh, utilizing <clears throat> people who work in costume shops, uh, normally working on Broadway shows. They're not producing masks in New York. Uh, there are several other companies that are marketing masks, and I think we'll see more that are designed especially for singers. I think it's important to say that these have not been tested thoroughly, but they will be. So for right now, I think it's it's 
an issue of trying to upgrade to a better mask than what you may have right now, and then following the research as it becomes available about uh, which masks are most effective. So the hand-sewn cotton masks with rubber bands around the ears may have been a start in a pinch during lockdown, but we need to upgrade right now is what you're saying. Yeah, I think the key is, uh, depending on the activity, I think those masks are probably fine for everyday use, but for singing which or speaking publicly, which in, in, involves more production of, of air and aerosols, I think a better quality mask is needed, and that's what would be needed in church to do church music or liturgy. And you're referring specifically to situations where musicians are in the room with a congregation, or does this also apply to video um, uh, production musicians? What we're hearing from the scientists in this study is that it would apply to video production. So, for example, here at the seminary, we'll be incorporating these guidelines in, in the live streaming that we'll be doing for daily worship. Because assuming those musicians are in the room with each other, they still need to protect each other. Exactly. It wouldn't apply if you were sitting in your own home doing music, but if you're in a building with other people, masks are uh, the requirement at all times. And again, this is, uh, this is important for protecting one another, protecting the, the people we serve and the people with whom we work. We don't have conclusive data on everything, but it makes sense to take all the precautions that we can to care for one another. Would you like to hear a little bit about the next category, time? Absolutely. Go ahead. This one was really interesting in, and important, I think, for all of us working in the church. They are recommending that in-person rehearsals, classes should be kept at a maximum of 30 minutes. And although the study didn't specifically address worship, one would gather that that would apply to in-person worship gatherings as well. So the recommendation is 30 minutes. If you go above 30 minutes, the risk uh, increases as aerosols accumulate. So the recommendation is to, at 30 minutes, uh, finish the activity, completely clear the room, and allow for a minimum of one complete air change before the next use of the room, preferably three complete air changes. Now, a lot of places are looking at outdoor rehearsals and classes and worship as a way of, of having the opportunity to, to relax some of these guidelines. And so, again, even for outdoors, they're suggesting 30-minute sessions and then uh, dispersing so that the air can clear for about five minutes and then coming back together. So although we've learned from the study so far that outdoor meetings are much safer in every respect, there's still that idea of keeping things at 30 minutes and allowing a short break in that case for the air to disperse and then bringing people back together. So we found this to be really interesting and uh, something that affects worship in terms of of streamlining liturgies to reduce the amount of time. Right. So perhaps even a pass the piece where you walk away for a few minutes and and then come back is, is an idea like that what you're suggesting? Sure, that would work. That's a great idea. I think the, 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 the main thing that we need to think about is indoor worship. So as churches are starting to look at resuming in-person services with other protocols in place like distancing and masks, the amount of time is another factor that has to be considered. And if we start 
going over that 30 minute mark, the risk begins to increase more and more. So again, it's it becomes a question of, of risk mitigation. Anything we do is going to have risk. It's a question of reducing risk and and thinking about these different categories and how they work together and and how to uh, set policies that will keep everyone safe. The next category was airflow. I'd love to say a few things about that. Um, meeting outdoors without an overhead covering is the best option. So if you use tents or canopies, some places are looking at that. Uh, the tents need to have high tops and no side panels to allow for the most circulation of air. Uh, this is an area looking at airflow where we really need to rely on professionals. So professional facility managers and experts to measure air change rates and design appropriate procedures. HEPA filters are being used in many places with filters changed regularly, opening windows whenever possible, and avoid using rooms that do not have HVAC systems. Now, all of this I think has to be taken with a grain of salt. I've worked in a lot of small churches over the years that were older buildings. They don't have those kinds of HVAC systems. They don't always have easy access to professionals to come in and evaluate airflow. Um, so, so it's a real challenge, particularly for smaller congregations to, to be able to implement some of these, these recommendations. Right. Is there any uh, anyone you recommend that congregations turn to for um, a consultation? Not specifically, but I think most communities uh, would have access to someone who's a professional who evaluates uh, airflow in building systems. So you would need to find an engineer, for example, who specializes in that, who could come in and evaluate your building. And I also know that a lot of places have small choir rooms without good air circulation. They may not have windows that you can open. They may have just a room air conditioner or nothing at all. Um, those, those rooms are more dangerous in this time. And uh, if you have a room like that, I think that you need to be making alternate plans, maybe to meet outside as weather permits or find another space where you can meet. Now, the last category um, has to do with distancing. So I'll say just a few words about that. Um, the CDC recommendations are still uh, centered on six feet of distancing. And so this study is going along with that recommendation. Uh, each singer or speaker should be centered in the middle of a six by six foot square. So in other words, 36 square feet. And one thing that I found interesting was this applies both indoors and outdoors. So distancing is always important. Uh, for churches, this has a particular impact, I think. They're recommending that singers should be seated in straight lines facing the same direction. So no curved rows, or as we see in certain styles of church architecture, rows of singers facing each other. That's not considered safe under these recommendations. Um, we all know, I think, about the, the importance of designating paths and procedures for entering and exiting the room. Many places are implementing those. And although it wasn't specifically mentioned in, in the presentation by this research group, it's also been suggested that teachers, leaders, choir directors create written seating charts and keep copies of that information on hand. And this will assist with contact tracing in case someone in the room is infected at a later date. 
So one more thing for the choir director to be in charge of, right? Keeping written records of who is there and uh, the date of each service. I could go ahead and say one more thing as well. There's some additional uh, recommendations that focus on good hygiene. Uh, this includes frequent hand washing, social distancing, wearing masks, and making sure that we're observing those practices not only in inside churches, in rehearsal rooms, but in all of the spaces that we use. So vesting rooms, hallways, restrooms, any other regularly used spaces within the building. And another good suggestion was to, and this applies particularly to choirs, I think, is to involve choir members and meeting participants in keeping things clean have a way for them to pick up 70% alcohol wipes as they come into the room and wipe down their own surfaces before and after use and then dispose of those properly on the way out. So there are ways that everyone can work together to help with what may seem like an overwhelming task of cleaning and disinfecting, particularly if it's a small church. I wanted to ask you if people who are listening to this want more information or they want to see more about the findings as they unfold, how can they look this up? There's a website where they can look at all of the research, and it's nfhs.org. That stands for National Federation of State High School Associations, so nfhs.org. And if you look, there's a you'll be able to find a further link that will take you to the study speaking about the unprecedented international coalition led by performing arts organizations to commission the COVID-19 study. And there you can look at the presentations from the scientists that go into great depth, uh, videos, charts, graphs, fascinating information. What I've shared with you today is my take on that to be helpful to church musicians and clergy and parishioners. I tried to condense the information that applies specifically to singing in church to a two-page document with, with recommendations. Uh, but I encourage everybody to understand that this is my interpretation. It would be great if you could look at every all of the data for yourself and, and draw your own conclusions. It's fascinating to see, and there will be ongoing updates as new information becomes available on that website. That's so helpful. I really appreciate you presenting that for us. Now, one more question I have. No one can predict what's going to happen in the long run. But as you're watching how church musicians are are experiencing this season, what kind of long-term effects do you think this COVID crisis might have for the musical life of the Episcopal Church? Well, I think it will have long-term effects. And of course, we don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what those will be, but I have a few thoughts about that. I think live streaming is here to stay. Um, the churches who were doing it already saw the benefit that it had for uh, reaching people. And I think now that we've crossed that bridge where almost everyone is doing that, I think it's going to continue. It's such an outreach to our members who, for health reasons, may not be able to attend services in person, even after those resume. And what we're seeing is a, a wider reach. So, for example, at Trinity Cathedral Omaha, when I watch every Sunday, I see that there are people from other countries watching people from other states, people who are not Episcopalians, people, people joining in worship who we had not been able to reach before. 
So, so it is an evangelical tool to reach out and, and make the church more open and welcoming to, to people everywhere. So I think that will continue. And as a part of that, I think that the church is going to need to, to look at ways to make that easier in terms of resources, technology, assistance with copyright licensing, which is a huge time-consuming task uh, right now to streamline that, find ways to make it easier to, for churches to comply with reporting. And I think that we will never lose the desire to sing together in person with all of the virtual tools that we have our, at our disposal. And they're, they're marvelous tools, wonderful new ways to reach people. I think that there's also that real value in singing together. And I think that those of us who have lived through this time have appreciated even more its value and its importance. And I think when we come together again, people won't take it for granted. I hope that all of us can, can appreciate even more what a privilege it is to be able to sing together. Church is really one of the few places where we can sing together, where we do sing together in modern life, right? Maybe a national anthem at a sporting event, but usually that's handled by a soloist now too. So, so that gift of singing together and the community that provides is invaluable and a gift. And I hope that, that we can enjoy it and appreciate it even more going forward. So I'm glad that you're not worried that uh, live streaming is going to uh, take over or, or suppress the worship life of the church. It sounds like you're hopeful that um, we're never going to lose that desire and that fundamental need to, to be together and to worship together in song. Yes, there are times when the church has not been able to gather. And I think that that when people were able to gather again, they relished that opportunity to be in community in person. And even though we have these marvelous new tools, I think that that, that desire to sing and worship together is is going to remain. Well, thank you so much for this wonderfully helpful information and, uh, and from your perspective. Sure. I've enjoyed talking with you. And if people want more information and would like to contact me, you can find my information on the, the VTS website, Virginia Theological Seminary. So I'd, I'd be happy to hear from anyone who has further questions. Delightful. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning blog, Covenant, at livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace. Peace.